Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. And now sings my soul You never let me go And after all this time We're going to turn to scripture this morning As we're, we're about to finish off Our last look at the book of Philippians Now not forever um, This will not be the last time we ever look at a verse From the book of Philippians We, we will be back here at some point But for this journey through the book of Philippians, this is going to be our last look. Starting next week and for the rest of the summer, um, Pastor Matt and I are, are going to be taking some time in our service to encounter Jesus. And what that means is we, we are going to take some time. Our, our messages over the course of, of the rest of July and, and August are, are going to be centered around some of the encounters that Jesus had in his life. When, when Jesus talked to someone, when Jesus met someone, when someone met Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at the encounters that Jesus had and how it shaped and formed and, and changed those people. And hopefully by extension, as we look at these in times when someone encountered Jesus, hopefully by extension, we will be encountering Jesus. And, and we will discover together how, how that's going to change us. But this week... We're going, to, we're going to close out this, this book by looking at the last chapter of Philippians, appropriately. Um, Philippians chapter 4. Now, Philippians chapter 4 is an absolute treasure trove of verses that are well known and themes that you could preach on. There's a whole bunch of verses that you could pull out and easily write a sermon on for, for this, this chapter. We could preach about rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice, or verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your, or thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Or verse 11 and 12, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Or probably the most well-known verse of the entire chapter and the entire book, and one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's verse 13 or verse 19. And verse 19 we just had as one of our prayer focuses for our 21 days of prayer. That says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glory or the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All of that is to say there is so, 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 so much that we could be sharing on. 
that, that we could be looking at in, in this, this chapter. And so I want to encourage you to take some time to read Philippians chapter 4. If you, if you haven't been reading our, our texts as we've been going through them, take some time and just read Philippians chapter 4. I guarantee you, you will read something in there that stands out to you and, and really speaks to you. But there's something a little different that I want to take on for us today as, as this week as it brings out the idea that we've been exploring this, this book the entire time. We've been exploring this idea, this theme throughout the book that began in chapter one and has now carried us through the last three chapters, this theme of living in the here and now and, and what it means for us to live now, not just with an idea of like, well, I've accepted Jesus, so now I just wait for heaven. But what does life look like now? What does life look like now that I've accepted Jesus and I'm still here? How do I live? And, and this week, I want to close with sort of a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in the book of Philippians and to draw out for us what that means for us in our lives as we look at what it means to live in the here and now. When we first started looking at the book of Philippians, at the very beginning of our series, I, I set some context for you for the book. Do you remember where Paul was when he wrote the book? He was in jail. He was in prison. That's right. He was in jail for sharing Jesus, for, for sharing the gospel. And in his sharing of the gospel, there was so much change that was taking place and so much upheaval in society as people's hearts and minds and ways of life were being transformed by the power of the gospel that Paul, the man preaching it, had become a public problem for Rome, had become a, prob a public problem for the people who were trying to keep the peace. Not, not because these converts were causing a problem, not because people were coming to Christ and then breaking all kinds of laws, not because people were accepting Jesus Christ and suddenly becoming awful people, but what was taking place was society was being transformed because people were leaving their established religions, their established ways of doing things and, and changing and, and converts were creating more converts and churches were creating more churches and, and the, the system at the time was so based around religion and so based around Jewish tradition that as these people began to walk away, it was creating a problem inside of society. It was upsetting the apple cart. And so Paul, as the rabble-rouser leader of all of this, the guy who was so doing this, ends up in jail. And if you remember correctly, or if you remember, um, when we began, it said that when you were in jail in a Roman prison, now, by no means is jail today a good place to be. By no means is, oh, it's cushy, it's nice, it's lovely. But at least in jail today, you get three square meals and a jumpsuit. Back then, they didn't give you anything. If, if you wanted to eat, if you needed clothes, better figure it out. They, they weren't bringing you a tray of food to your cell. You, you had to figure it out or you didn't eat. If you wanted clothes, if, you're, if the clothes you were thrown into jail with, if you were thrown into jail with clothes, if they began to get worn out, if they began to fall apart, if you needed new better figure it out. And so that's where Paul had found himself. If you, if you needed something in prison, you had to provide for yourself. You needed family, you needed friends, you needed something or someone 
to care for you and to provide for you. And for Paul, that person, that thing, was the church in Philippi. And that's why Paul is writing this letter, or at least one of the reasons is as a thank you letter. Is Paul is writing to this church to say thank you for their generosity. And we read about Paul's thankfulness for their gift in verse 10 through verse 18 in chapter 4. Paul writes this. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What, what he, when he's talking about your concern for me, it, it, it's a nice way of saying you sent me a gift. You, you sent me money. You renewed your concern means you sent me another gift of, of money. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. These are some of the verses we read earlier. Having learned to be content whatever the circumstance, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether it's whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not, oh, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So what Paul is essentially writing about here, what he's saying is he's writing to say thank you to the church for sending him money. And that's, that's functionally what all of this flowery, 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 flowery language is all about. Is, 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 it's, it's his way of, of saying, thanks for sending me support. Thanks for sending me money. But writing it in a very Paul, very flowery kind of way. Um, Paul, Paul says, or it, and it, it turns out that it was a significant amount of money. It was, it was a large amount of money. Paul says at the end there that it covered the full cost of all of his expenses. And then some. That, that Paul was able to pay all of his expenses, all of the stuff that he needed to pay, and then there was a little left over that all of his needs would be met, and then maybe even a couple of wants. That, that he was able to, to do everything that he needed to do because of the generosity of the Philippians. And actually, if you read closer into what we just read, you see a couple of things. First, that this wasn't the first time that the church had supported Paul this way. Paul, Paul says, earlier when I was ministering in a place called Thessalonica, this is the place that First and Second Thessalonians were written to, that the church in Philippi, as he was ministering in this other city, as he was ministering in this other community to these other believers, to this other church, Paul sent or the Philippians sent Paul some money, sent him some financial support more than once. Paul said that this is, you've done this a few times now, and so at least three times they've done this. 
And second, they were the only church to respond to Paul like this. Paul says that there was no other church that did this. It was only you that shared in this. And, and this got me thinking when Paul says that we, there was only one other church, or there was no other churches that did this, thinking about what living our lives in the here and now really looks like. What does it mean for us to do this? What does it look like when we are really pursuing Jesus like we talked about last week? What does this look like? And I think in these verses, much of this lesser known part of Philippians chapter 4, we get an insight into in a picture into what it means to live like a citizen of the gospel. In the here and now, pursuing Jesus, we live a life dedicated to giving. But that's what it looks like. That if we are to pursue Jesus, if we are to chase after him, if we are to live inside the culture and the customs of the citizens, of being citizens of the gospel, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, life looks like being dedicated to giving. Now, I know that for some, uh, uh, maybe online you feel more comfortable, but, but you know, in your heart, or maybe verbally, you're saying, oh great, a sermon on tithing. We went through all of this journey just to get us to this place so we can talk, so the pastor can say, give the church your money. That, that, that's, that's where, if you want to be a real, mature, strong, Bible-believing Christian, the debit machine is available at the back. No, um, have a great Sunday. See you next week. No, that, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. That's not it at all. It's much bigger than that. Because if we, if I were to say, you need to live a life dedicated to giving, and then I was to make that about tithing, then I am completely 100% guilty of everything that I said we should not do last week. 100% guilty. If I were to say to you that in order to live a life dedicated to, give, to giving, to live in the here and now, to be a citizen of the gospel, to pursue Jesus, just simply means to make sure that you're tithing, then I'm a Pharisee. Then, then I am guilty of taking this thing that's bigger than an action and reducing it down to an action. And that, that's what we talked about last week, was our need to not reduce our relationship with God down to the things that we do. And so I cannot stand here and say it's, it's simply about tithing, because it's not. It's not about that. But I think to live the way that we've been talking about what it looks like for us to live this out, for us to know that we're on the right track, headed in the right direction, for us to know that we're maturing in our faith and, and our relationship with the Lord really comes down to one thing. We need to be focused on giving to others more than we are on ourselves. This is what growing in Jesus looks like. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. That is what it means for us to be pursuing Jesus. To become more like Jesus is to really learn what it means to give of ourselves to other people. That is everything that Jesus modeled for us. If you read the life of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, what you will discover is what the model for you, for me, for all of us is, is to live your life giving to other people. Everything Jesus ever did was about that. And I think this, this bears itself out in the other direction. 
that if maturity is becoming selfless, and a hallmark of immaturity would be selfishness. And if you've ever met a two-year-old, you know that this bears itself out. If two-year-olds were the size of dinosaurs, none of us would be alive. We would all be destroyed because a two-year-old does not have the ability to think beyond itself. And so it is ruled by the moment. It is ruled by what it wants. It is ruled by what is mine. And if it had the power to, when we interfered with the way it understood and processed the world, we would be dead. Because it could not process selflessness. And so maturity is actually going beyond yourself to give to others. We, we can probably never fully move past our self-absorbed human nature and condition. But by God's infinite mercy and grace, maybe we can inch closer and closer towards it, towards living like Jesus did, focusing on others above ourselves. And for Paul, this church that he started in Philippi has taken it upon themselves to make sure that he, as he sits there in prison, as he sits there and faces what could be his death, that he has what he needs. And clearly, as, as we read Paul's words to the church, we can see the big difference that it's making in his life and circumstance. All throughout this letter, as you read through the book of Philippians, you'll discover this, this sense of bond and connection that Paul has with this church, that he's not just writing to, to a church to disciple it. He's not just writing to, to a church to give it a textbook. He's writing to his friends. He's writing to, to people that he has this connection with. And there's this amazing picture of this connection that has taken place because of the way the church has given and been generous to Paul that we see way back at the beginning of the letter. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes this to the church just as he's beginning to address them. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Can you hear the connection that he has with the church? Like, like, this isn't just like a, hey, how are you kind of introduction to a letter. This is somebody writing to somebody that they cherish, that they hold dearly, that really makes a difference to them and matters in their lives. And then in verse 5, he says, why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul calls the church partners with him. But I want to dive into this word, this word partners here, for just a moment because I believe that it shows what happens in our lives when we live with this giving heart towards others. The Greek word that shows up here is the word koinonia. And what this word means is fellowship. Now, fellowship is a word that we as Christians can become very familiar with inside of Christian circles. Lots of churches are called something fellowship, and fellowship in many churches is a code word. If, if you've been a part of a church for a long time, and I was to say to you, after our AGM, we're going to have a time of fellowship. What does that mean? Coffee, food, that, that we're going to share a meal, we're going to share food, that when I say to you, we're going to have a time of fellowship, 
that means that we're going to have something to eat and something to drink, whether it's squares or a, or a potluck. The information will come later. But fellowship means food. That's how we use the word. But the word fellowship or the word koinonia has this much deeper connotation than just simply what we often imply when we use the word fellowship. It doesn't just mean to share mashed potatoes and ham sandwiches with others. It doesn't just mean coffee and Nanaimo squares. Those can certainly be a part of it, but that's not, what it, that's not on a fundamental level what it means. It runs way deeper than that. It, it, the word means literally the sharing of life, the sharing in life. It's entering into someone's life, someone's story, and not just connecting on a surface level, but it's this deep, intense level of life where we're not just sharing about ourselves, our stories, and our lives, but we're allowing others to come into our stories. We're allowing others to come into our lives and share in what we're going through. We're not just sharing about ourselves, our stories, but we're inviting somebody into ourselves and into our stories. And, and that's why here this word is translated partnership. Because when we talk about fellowship, what we're talking about is partnering together in life. That if we're going to have a fellowship together, that if we're going to fellowship with one another, that we're going to begin to partner together in life. And so the, they, the church in Philippi, giving the way that they did, they were entering into Paul's ministry, not just on a thanks support. Thanks for all your generosity because of your support. I was able to do this, this, and this. Paul says to them, we have become partners. We have entered into this thing where we're in this together, that it's not just simply you gave me some money, thank you, but that we're, we're now partners. We are together. We are sharing in this. I don't know if you've ever thought about church and being a part of church like this. I mean, we, we tend to talk about church as in like, oh, I go to Cornerstone Church, or, or I go to First Alliance, or, or I go to this church, or I attend this church. But have you ever related to it like this? I am in partnership with the people in this community to share God's love with one another and the world. But for the Philippians, their part to enter into this fellowship looked like giving. They gave of themselves to partner with Paul. And, and specifically, the gifts that Paul is recognizing here is their financial gifts, their, their financial commitment to him. And they had done this, given financially, repeatedly, whenever an opportunity came. And it's important to note that Paul said that they were not the only ones. Or that, that, sorry, that they were the only ones. But it's not important because we need to shame the other churches. It's not important because we need to shame everybody else who didn't give. It's not important because, well, we need to go through and go, those lousy Galatians, those cheap Ephesians. Paul started those churches too, and they didn't give him any money. He talked about being in Thessalonica. Where's the Thessalonians? That, that's not why we want to recognize that not the, the other churches didn't give, but it's to realize that it's not easy to give. 
It's not easy to do this. It's, it's easy to see reasons not to give, and not just financially. There's, it's easy to see reasons not to give of your time. It's easy to see reasons not to give of your energy. It's easy to see reasons not to give of your emotions. It's easy to see reasons not to care, to enter into partnership and to enter into life with other people. Whatever it is, it's easy not to give. It's always, always, always a choice to give. It's always a choice. And that's what the church in Philippi is doing, is they're not looking at the reasons that they can't. Remember last time, Paul says, you're experiencing what I was experiencing. They weren't giving out of this place that everything was great. They're giving out of this place where everything is coming. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing trouble and difficulty, and yet they still gave. They're not looking at the reasons why they can't. They're looking at the reasons why they need to. Because giving is at the heart of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he... He gave. He gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What did God do? He gave. You see, giving is at the heart of our relationship with God. We only have this relationship with God because he gave. And God is giving the rain. Um, you, you see, giving is at the heart of our relationship with God. We only have this relationship with God because he was willing to give to us. And so how do we become more like God? How do we then say, okay, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like God. I want to be more like this God who made me, who created me, who made me into what I am. I want to be more like them, more like him. Well, what did God do? He gave. And so we need to give. But here's the crazy thing that God asks us to do in our lives. When you read scripture, and when you dive deep down into what Jesus had to say, what you discover is this insane, crazy principle to our eyes. Here is the invitation to Jesus, that Jesus gives to you when it comes to giving. If you want to receive, you need to give. Give away the very thing you yourself want, and that's how you will receive it. We can see this explicitly in Luke chapter 6, in verse 37. Jesus says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. What that means is like cramming more inside. That it's not just going to fill it up, but it's going to be pressed down and shaken. He's going to make as much room, and it's still going to be overflowing. That, that will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure, whatever measure, or, well, I missed the last part of this verse. For what the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. The economy of God isn't get so that then you can give. It isn't acquire as much as you can and then start to give. The economy of God is give it away. The very thing you need, the things that you think you need, give it away 
And the promise of God is that somehow when you do that, when we give away what we have, then we're going to receive what God has for us. Now, this is not some God-ordained loophole investment interest earning thing. It's not so you're saying that if I give some money to God, then he'll give it back at prime plus 1.25%. That, that somehow, oh, 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 so, so what I just need to do is if I want more money, I just give God some money, and then he'll give me back more money. Because it's not a heart, or it's not an action. God isn't asking you to perform an action for him. He's asking you to give him your heart. A heart that says, if, if I give money to God so that God is going to make me rich... It's, that's not a koinia relationship with God. It's not a partnership with God. Because it's not just a physical dynamic. It's a spiritual dynamic. A psychological dynamic. He talks about forgiveness. As Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Father, forgive me for all of my sins and punish those who have wronged me with lightning bolts from heaven. No, that's not what he says. He says, Father, forgive me just as I've forgiven those who have, all, who have hurt me. God is calling for us to partner with him in our lives, even for things like forgiveness. To give our heart, our hurt, our pain, our offense, our revenge, our payback, our sentence passed on someone else. All the things that we feel like we need to receive in order for us to be okay in a situation. God is saying, partner with me. Give that to me. Give that up to me, and I will forgive you of all that you've done wrong, and I will make you whole. Now, we have no idea how God's going to do that. That when we're hurt, and when we're wronged, and when something bad has happened to us, we have a very strong sense of what we need to be made whole. That this is what I need. This is, the, this is the justice I need. This is what I need them to say. This is what I need them to do. These are the things that I need in order for me to be able to successfully be made whole, to forgive them, and move forward. And God is saying to us, just forget your whole checklist. Just give it to me. Forgive them. And I'll make you whole. But that takes a huge step of faith because... We don't know what that's going to look like. We've lost our checklist. But God is calling for us to partner with him, to koinonia with him, and to get the wholeness, the completeness with God when we need to give up our hurt and our right to our pain and just forgive. In God's economy, in order to get something, you need to give up something. So I want to invite you, as we're, we're closing off our time, to think about your life and, and what it would mean for you to give away the very things you think that you need and you want in life. Have you ever felt, found yourself in a situation where you've thought to yourself, why haven't they called me? Why haven't they checked in with me? Why haven't they asked me to go for coffee? Why isn't this person doing this thing for me? I need someone to talk to. I need someone to listen to me. I don't know if you've ever been there, 
but it can become like a snowball rolling down a hill and it grows and it grows and it grows in the sense of discontent that we can have with people and situations because we're standing and saying this is what they should be doing he should have called me by now she should have texted me this that it can grow and grow and grow now in your sense of I need to talk to someone I need someone to reach out for me what would it look like for you to be the one to give away just what you think you need and you call them and you check in on them you be the voice of listening and caring give away the very thing that you want now of course there is a way that this can be taken to an extreme that is not healthy we have to have boundaries we cannot run ourselves into the ground doing everything for everyone but I'm going to assert to you that each of us has this choice to make. And each of us makes this choice in our daily lives in a million different ways each day in all the little tiny choices that we make. All the way back in the book of De Deuteronomy, God says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And we choose life, the full, abundant life that Jesus offers by giving, by giving to God and by giving to others. Jesus says, whoever wants or whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever loses their life by giving everything away, whoever loses their life by just giving, 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 the weird thing is you've lost it all. And that's where you're going to find it. Whoever loses themselves, gives themselves away, is going to find themselves. And so, to close off our time today, together today, I want to invite you to do an exercise with me. If you're here with me in the service right now, which you are, or if you're watching at home, which you are, I'm going to invite you to get out something to write something down with. A pen and a paper, an app on your phone, whatever that would look like for you. We live in a world where you can write things down in a million different places. But what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to write down, even in just one word, what it is that you want. What it is that you want most in life right now. Maybe it's, it's forgiveness. Maybe I, I just need to forgive. I just need to be forgiven. Or maybe it's to be able to forgive. Maybe it's restoration. Uh, maybe restoration of your marriage or of a relationship with a friend or a family member. Maybe it's, it's a financial situation. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's connection. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's direction. Maybe it's, it's God's protection. Maybe it's God's providence. Maybe it's God's provision. Whatever it is that in your life that you would say, right now, what I need more than anything, and I just want you to write that word down, those couple of words down, and then I want to invite you to give it to God and invite Him to show you how to koinonia with him in that. 
how to partner with him. Not to just ask God, God, do something with this. But to say, God, how can we partner together in this? And to invite him to show you what maybe you can give, what you can lose, so that in God's economy, you can receive the thing you need most. So I'm going to give you just a moment, whether you're watching online or, or here, um, and if you want to write something down, and just maybe just pray a very simple prayer over that thing. God, I want to partner with you. I, I want to partner with you in this. God, you, the, God's word says that he knows the desires of your heart. And so share with him what your desires are and say, God, how can we partner together in this? God, what is it that you need me to give so that I can get this? What is it that you need me to lose so that I can find this? What is it that you need me to do so that I can discover this? God wants to partner with you. He wants to koinia with you. He wants to meet with you and connect with you. He wants to move you forward in your life. But he doesn't want to just do it apart from you. He wants to partner with you. I will build my house where the storm won't drown on a rock that does not move. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family we go. I will not trust in the strength of kings. On your promise I will stand. I will shout for joy. I will raise my voice, hallelujah to the Lamb. You are steadfast, steadfast. You are steadfast, steadfast. In a moment. Always fulfilled in the hour of darkness, your light was revealed in the presence of death, your life was affirmed in the absence of holiness. You are still God, you are steadfast. Stay.